It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it's Basha here and you're listening to The Slow Newscast. This week, we walk through a door into a completely different world. Sabah Salman is an award-winning writer who often tells the stories of people who just can't speak up for themselves. And she takes us to meet a boy called Elliot and his family. Yeah, so this is the airing cupboard. Uh, So we had to put locks on the airing cupboard because he was eating the foam off the hot water tank. So we've got locks on there to stop him doing that. Um, unfortunately, the where the door that he's pulled off and broken off there, the reason why he's done that is... Back in July, I wrote an article about the lifting of COVID restrictions and how some people, disabled people, were being left behind. And after reading my article, a man called Ian got in touch. He doesn't like the noise. So he's pulled the door off so that he can find the switch and turn it off, which means myself and my wife don't have hot water up in our bathroom upstairs. Sometimes, as a reporter, when you start out on a story, you have a pretty clear idea of exactly where you're headed. So when I first met Ian Goldsworthy, I thought this was a story about COVID vaccinations and about how hard it is for some people to get them. And it is... We'll definitely get to that. But sometimes, the story takes you deeper. After I step through the Goldsworthy's front door, where Ian, Lucy and their three children live, I entered another world. A world that millions of us never experience, never see and never hear. And I realised that this story was about a lot more than the challenge of getting someone vaccinated or keeping an extremely vulnerable person alive as we head into winter. It's a story about anger and loss, love and family. It's about exhaustion. And really, it's about resilience. And I'm afraid quite a bit of it is going to be about shit and cleaning it up. But it's also a story about a remarkable boy a boy who just loves to bounce, a boy who's trapped in time. I'm Sabah Salman, and this week on The Slow Newscast, I'm going to tell you a story about a boy called Elliot. This is the 
the lounge, uh, and we've got uh, Elliot here, uh, who's just watching his iPad. He likes watching CBBS. At the moment, he's watching Boogie BBS, which is the um, program that he's been watching. Um, interestingly, all the programs that he watches are still the same ones that he watched when he was two, three years old. But he's quite happy. So that noise you could hear was him. You know, he hits his hand. He'll hit his uh, leg. That's a way of him just communicating that he's in a happy mood. Um, sometimes he'll also hit his head, uh, like he's just doing there, just hitting his face. That that's also him communicating that he's happy. Sometimes the intensity of him hitting himself will change, and that's him communicating that he's not happy. Uh, and, and obviously, he can sometimes really hurt himself if he's doing that. You take your tray out, Elliot. Do it, Elliot. Do it. <laughs> you may well laugh, but Elliot can do it. Oh, I know. I know. Thank you. Good boy. That's pretty typical behaviour from a teenager, not wanting to take your plate to the dishwasher. But it's about the only thing that's typical about Elliot. I think he's waiting for do you want to take him up yeah. so we change so, him? Uh, if I just go and do just that, just, go and... just stay down here just once we... We'll just change him. Um, sort of, he's just waiting for him. Elliot, if you come upstairs, just going to sort you out, OK? Good boy. So, Lucy, j- just to be clear, Ian's off to, ch- to change Elliot. Mm. What... What is he going to be doing? And so that will be a nappy change, complete, and then he goes into protective clothing because Elliot doesn't have any recognition of his toileting needs so that he will get into a nappy, whatever he's done, and will take that out so that he has to, as soon as he gets home from school, once you've had dinner, he must get changed and he has to be in um, like a popper vest, a full-on onesie with zips up the back and then usually a shirt over the top with buttons because he can't manage the buttons in order to stop him accessing his nappies. We've changed now. He's changed now. And it's worth saying as well that the the consequences of if, if he did access his, his nappy during the night time or when he's not under constant supervision then he'd get in there he'd smear it when you say smearing ian what what do you um he doesn't have the same uh, revulsion to his fecal matter that you or i might so he will access it in his nappy and he's just curious by it you know and then he's oh well i didn't want that on my finger so it gets spread over the wall over the bed linen over the floors which is why he doesn't have carpet in his his room anymore because that all got wrecked and ruined um but you know when you're shattered and you just want to get off to sleep to have to strip all the bed linen and do that is less than ideal his developmental delay has left him sort of stuck in this loop and he's about 15 month old baby and certain things like that toileting is very much at that level that age and yet to look at him yes he's you know Six foot four, perfectly physically well developed, so that's even more difficult. Elliot's 16, and as his mum Lucy points out, he's six foot four. He's big, really big. He towers over his siblings, over Lucy, and he's beginning to dwarf Ian too. So although Elliot can't speak, he certainly makes his presence felt. Across two wintry nights in November at their home in Potter's Bar, I sat down with Ian and Lucy. So as a baby, perfectly normal, hit all his developmental milestones, everything fine, no concerns. Um, I think gradually, I think he got to his first birthday and although he 
babbled. Um, there wasn't a lot else there. And then gradually, as the months went on, there was a couple of words. And then suddenly, I think he was around about 15 months. Um, and suddenly those words completely disappeared. And in the space of a, a two or three weeks, he gave the appearance of being un, unwell. He would hold his head and just something wasn't right. And he would scream blue murder if you took him swimming, which was one of his favourite things to do. And I took him to the doctors and they said, it he's a viral infection, just give him cowpole. But he was never the same after that. Lost any of the words that he did have. And then Elliot is really very much developmentally the same. Yeah. It's like he's stuck. Me, what I always remember is seeing him in relation to his peers that suddenly realise, oh God, he doesn't know even how to throw a ball or, or kick a ball or if we're doing some arts and crafts stuff, you know, he doesn't understand the concept of what, you know, the dipping fingers in paint and making a splodge and, you know, every little thing requires support and it, you know, it felt like that, you know, death by a thousand cuts. And what does that mean when you see friends who've got kids the same age who are the same age as Elliot? I mean, I'll see them walk past now going up to school because they're in year 12 so you know they're doing their A-levels and knowing that that's chronologically where Elliot should be you know every so often I think you have a day when you think it really hits you that reality of just how wide that gulf is. In order to appreciate him and celebrate him for everything he can do and all the things he can do you have to kind of distance yourself from looking at your friends and stuff but as Lucy said there are times when you see them and you hear about his contemporaries going on to do brilliant amazing wonderful things or even just bog standard ordinary everyday things and you think man I wish Elliot could do some of that um no um and no one despite Every test under the sun, everything that he's had done, he's had over and above what you would normally have. No one can actually find any answers. Any calls. Eventually, you just have to come to a point where you go, well, we've explored every avenue that, that we think we could. You know, we spent a lot of time working with Great Ormond Street and stuff, but none of it has ever moved us any closer to understanding why he is as profoundly disabled as he is. You know, when he was diagnosed, it was with an autism spectrum disorder because that was what was presenting at the time but I probably made some stupid joke about oh gosh well we'll have to go and buy a piano or something because all I understood about autism at that time was watching you know films like Rain Man or something like that and you, you realize that, you, that, that that's true of a tiny tiny fraction of the people who are diagnosed with autism and actually the way that Elliot's life has developed he could not be further away from that type of life um, if you possibly imagined it. But to the layman how how would you describe Elliot and his his needs and the profound needs that he has? I'd say he was a toddler in a man's body, but imagine him who's gone through puberty yep. and every, and all that that entails. That's where we are, and it's a very <laughs> it's a very strange dynamic. Mm. But I think that's the closest analogy I can give you, yeah. really. If you say autism to someone, they have no idea of what our day-to-day life is like because they think they'll understand autism. They might think they understand people with autism and, and having learning disabilities, but the extreme nature in which those manifest and the amount it impacts on 
mine and my wife's lives and, and the lives of our other children, um, that's very hard to sum up in just a label of a diagnosis because none of his diagnosis, you know, he's got a boatload of things uh, that he's diagnosed with, just been diagnosed with epilepsy as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, n- none of that um, actually tells you the story of Elliot. He's got a case of the Elliots, really, and that, that's all you can say. Right now, there's some background studying going on. Yeah, can you tell us what that is? That's Elliot's normal um, jumping up and down, primarily. That'll be um, jumping up and down, clapping, lying on his bed and just kicking his legs up in the air so much that he lifts off the bed, which is quite a force when you're as, as big as he is to do that. And you'll hear that for hours and through the night as well. And we were talking about um, some of the things that Elliot finds difficult. And I'm thinking not so much of the health issues, but the ordinary things, going out, going to school, haircuts. Haircuts have very much uh, evolved, haven't they? So so Elliot, when when he was a baby and a toddler, he went to the hairdressers absolutely fine. And then he started getting more and more difficult with that uh, around about the ages of five or six, you know, and wouldn't tolerate going, wouldn't tolerate anything near his ears or um, with his hair. And he ended up with this awful, you know, mop of of curls. He's got very thick hair that grows incredibly quickly. It's it's not easy to deal with. And I remember when he was probably about five or six, wasn't he? He had some teeth removed. And, And whilst he was under the general anaesthetic to do that, we snuck into the operating theater and cut his hair uh which apparently is more common than you'd think but um you know we felt a bit weird doing it um and then after that we then struggled for a long time to really cut his hair and i remember there was one time lucy had gone away and i was left in charge of the kids and in typical dad fashion i I decided i was going to achieve something in this time and i decided i was going to do elliot's hair so I can remember having to have one arm round him in a in a bear hug to try and keep him still as he was wriggling to try and do it, whilst I'd be using the clippers, you know, shearing him basically to try and, and, and get it cut. And, and he'd be biting me at the same time and w- would have bitten me so much that by the time we, we finished, I looked at him, I looked at me, I had scratch marks up and down my eye, I had teeth marks, I had blood running down my arm. And that was how we did his hair and it was horrendous what are some of the other triggers that make Elliot so upset that he behaves and you know his frustration comes out like this something might set him off and often you won't know what it was um there won't be any obvious cause and this is why it's so difficult very often it will either start with he'll just hit himself in the head to such an extent that he'll burst the blood vessels in his face or he'll bite through his hand. He has a permanent callus on one hand with a complete bite mark um, where he just regularly bites through his hand. It's become... He, he, he'll bite his hand in a sort of more ambient fashion, but then he will suddenly just go and it will be full on through and it's bitten through the whole hand. I mean, I know I've been guilty sometimes because I'm a teacher. And when you're a teacher, you have your teacher voice, which you use to command the room and to to do all that. And 
there can be times when I, you know, I'll see him doing something. Maybe we've left a cupboard unlocked or something, and he's grabbing lots of food or something. And I'll say, Elliot, no, and no is a trigger. Tone so, of voice is the one voice, thing yeah. that is probably more consistently likely to trigger him. Yeah. But very much, you have to keep your voice very modulated. The tone's got to be very, yeah. very calm. And it may be, you know, I've had it before where Elliot's got me in a headlock and is ripping my hair out. But you have to still keep your voice very calm. Elliot, we, we need to stop this now. You're going into the red zone and we need to stop this now. Even though every aspect of you is flooded with adrenaline, wanting to go into sort of, you know, pushing him off you. Um, but it, he's so strong that actually that won't work. And it's more of a case of you have to keep yourself calm. And if the other children are around, it's like, right, you leave mummy now, it's fine, please. Do you just go into another room, take yourself off? And they know to do that. That's not a normal setup. If it ever happens, it's usually in the morning before school. And that's happened a few times. And then they have to go after school and Elliot will go after school and everyone will readjust. And it, it's, that's just life. don't give any impression that it's going up but I've realized that my heart rate when I put him on the bus goes up to about 130 um every day every day and then once I've got him on the bus and he's safely driven off then I'm like oh I'm back down to about 70 yeah and I don't give any outward um indication that that's the case but it's obviously (laughs) I've got conditioned to being in that sort of state of Right, this could happen, this could happen. It hasn't, okay. All of these stories of your sort of family life, what would you say so far has been the kind of lowest moment for you both? I'm not sure if I actually have one event. I think because usually it's me the whole time. To me, it was just a slow, gradual burn of realising increasingly where things were and how difficult things were. And every time that Elliot would have another big episode of an outburst, it chipped away at you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, so I think I got got to a point probably a lot earlier <laughs> than you did of just... There's a deadening where Elliot's involved that I don't feel anything quite the same with Elliot, which is why I'm able to deal with him. Good Day is, and we have many of them as well, which, you know, Elliot is fundamentally, um, he's very happy. We have to say as well that when we're thinking about this, we're thinking about stuff from largely three, four, five years ago. We've worked very hard and had support. And I think a lot of it was him going through puberty as, as well. Those were very challenging years. And he's come out the other side, and we're you know we're back to the point where you know ninety five percent of the time he's absolutely lovely and very sweet natured, and aside from his personal needs, he's you know uh, very easy to look after in 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 that regard. He loves being active, so he loves going on his trampoline that we've got in the garden. He loves going swimming. Uh, absolutely adores going to the beach. That's his favourite place in the world to be. There is no place that Elliot is happier in the world than being 
in the surf of Rasili Bay, he will run down the dunes to get there. He'll the tide goes out an enormous long way there, but he will sprint just across the beach and it's hard to keep up with him. Um and he'll get in the water and he will just throw himself down on the ground, letting the water splash over him with his legs kicking up in the air, just in absolute delight because that is his special place where he adores being. And so days like that are just absolutely joyful. There was one thing I wanted to ask about, which was the bite mark in Elliot's hand. And I wondered if you could describe when that happened, when you, when you tried to put a plaster on it. He won't let you put a wound dressing on it. There have been times when Trust trying to put a plaster on because it's coming near something that's, that's obviously sore and bothering him. And, you know, because how could it possibly not? Well, then cause him to react aggressively again. So you end up, ignoring is not the right word, but turning a blind eye to, to injuries and conditions that you would never tolerate in one of our other children or in ourselves. You'd be like, oh, straight right, okay, we've got to get a plaster on that. We've got to dress that. Oh, that looks really nasty. We've got to get that looked at. Can't do any of those things with Elliot. Um, he won't tolerate them and it'll just make things so much worse. So what would happen if a doctor came towards Elliot with... A needle, um, a bandage. So he's had two big seizures recently. And after the seizures, very, very sleepy. After because it's an exhausting experience for him to have to go through. But even in that moment when he's still not entirely conscious and he's coming around afterwards, um, you know, that last time the paramedics arrived about an hour or so after he'd had the seizure, only been asleep for that time. But they couldn't get anything out of They couldn't do blood, so they couldn't do blood pressure. Even though he was struggling to stay conscious, he did not want these people he did not know doing something he did not understand to him. And so he was going to push back against that, no matter the fact that he was already exhausted and struggling to keep himself awake after the seizure. He kind of pulled himself up and staggered off all wobbly and then just sort of collapsed somewhere else, but just to get away from them. Hello, Elliot. Elliot, could you go round the other way? Would you like something to eat? Is that what you're saying? Okay, I'll get him some. I wondered if Elliot wanted to to join us. Um, And I hadn't seen him bouncing before. You described the the bouncing. Yes. And that's a real happy signal. Uh Yes, that's just... That's him. Very happy. He bounces along, does a lot of jumping... Um, and he's always done that. Um, we used to call him Tigger because he just bounces constantly. Um, but yes, that's why the whole house, you'll feel reverb because as he's getting bigger, um, everything shakes. Um, but yeah, that's just, um, that's a happy Elliot. Happy Elliot can take a lot of work to make sure that he has the opportunities to um, burn off some of his excess energy and also just to have a change of scenery which he benefits from greatly. Don't you, mister? Hmm. Not up your nose. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. By the end of 2019... Life at the Goldsworthy's had reached a sort of equilibrium. Elliot had made it through puberty and was generally happy at his special school. Ian and Lucy were learning to calm him down by stepping back rather than always intervening. But then in March 2020, when the pandemic hit, it began to dawn on them that life was about to get much tougher. Their carefully managed harmony was about to be shattered. We all struggled in lockdown, but imagine being stuck at home with a six-foot-four toddler who you're desperately trying to keep safe. As a family, we pulled the other two kids out of school, we pulled Elliot out of school, I said I couldn't go to work, and we stayed inside, you know, trying to limit how we could go out as, as much as possible, which was very, very challenging. Elliot couldn't understand why he couldn't do any of the things that he would normally do. You know, going to school, going on his school bus, um, just going to the swimming pool that he would do once a week, all of those things suddenly had gone by the wayside and he couldn't understand why those things weren't there anymore and would find pictures of cars, would find pictures of swimming pools to communicate that, these are the things that I would like to be doing. And when Lucy says you know, he'd find pictures, it would be that conversation repeated hundreds of times an hour. Every hour he was awake during the day. In his bedroom, he's got a picture of a beach, because he loves going to the beach. And oftentimes he'll point at that to indicate that, you know, he'd like to go. And often we'll say, no, it's the middle of December, we can't go to the beach, you know, we've got to wait. There was one time I remember him when I was saying that no, we can't go to the beach and him turning around and, and attacking me and getting aggressive. So the only solution we could find to break that cycle was to take that picture and we had to go and hide it. So in a sense, we were robbing Elliot of his way of communicating what he wanted to do, but because that was leading him down to an obsessive behavior, which was also leading to aggressive behaviors because he couldn't understand why he wanted to do it. It's the days when nothing happens that he ends up, you know, being more aggressive, um, being more difficult, presenting more challenging behaviours. Luckily, he was able to go eventually back to school. They were able to take some of the children back at his special school and he was included in that because by that point, 
We were struggling terribly. And when we decided to send him back, we agonised over that decision for a long time because we were having to weigh up the comparative risk to Elliot of sending him back to school with the benefit to the whole family, you know. We can't pretend that we weren't very, very nervous and worried when we had to do that because we knew that there was nothing essentially protecting him. What was going through your minds you're hearing the news about the increased risk. Tell me about what you understood of those risks to people with learning disabilities and autism like Elliot. If every day of your life is, is faced with the struggle of trying to get Elliot to do basic things and basic levels of, of healthcare, you know, if we can't put a plaster on him, if we can't give him basic medication, it's not difficult to extrapolate from that that him going into hospital to require treatment for something which is flooring otherwise perfectly healthy people would be a very difficult thing uh, to do. So if he were to get it and he got it badly enough that he needed to go to hospital, he would not be able to receive the same level of treatment just practically because of, of, of the nature of his learning disabilities. And there was um, a child which I remember coming across talking about how they score patients when they come into A&E. And he would have scored at a point where they might have said, we're not going to resuscitate him. We're not going to give him the same care that we might give somebody else who was coming in who didn't have his learning disabilities. And... There are many, many examples of families who lost loved ones with learning disabilities through that exact process. Obviously now we know what the data says and we know that if you have learning disabilities, you can be so much more likely to die of coronavirus. I think it's something like six times more likely and so that was one of the reasons why we locked down so hard as a family even though it was very very difficult living in that situation was because we couldn't bear the thought of something happening and him going to hospital you know that you know pragmatically Elliot is viewed as as less less than an equivalent of a the same age child um, and less than our other children. We don't view him like that. It's unfair. But then, you know, Elliot's, his life's not fair. He might be happy in it, but it's not fair. I think it's also true to say that the near two years now of, you know, living with coronavirus has unfortunately conditioned Elliot to have a smaller life. Mm. If you're a person with disability, you know, you you often have a... Uh, quite a small life anyway in terms of what you can access and what you can do and it's limited and what the the COVID era has done is shrunken that even more for, for lots and lots of families and people with disabilities and that's a real sad unexpected offshoot of all this that you have conditioned his behaviour to, to expect less so tell me about the vaccination, because that would have made a massive difference to Elliot. When did you get an invite? 
we didn't get an invite when perhaps we should have done because he is on the learning disability register with the GP so we'd started following this up Um, and certainly once he had turned 16 we were in contact and trying to find out where can we take him how how does this Mm. all work Um, and that's when it all started to become quite clear that that there hadn't really been um, any other thought gone into what the alternative was, what other methods we could use to try and sort of ameliorate the problems. Um, And we're just left Elliot still unvaccinated, despite us trying every avenue open to us at the moment. We've spent all these months banging against doors, and, and trying to find some way of him having the vaccine, uh, which is of critical importance because he can't wear a mask, he can't understand social distancing, he is more vulnerable uh, to catching it, he is more likely, if he caught it and required hospital treatment, for that to be of severe consequence because of his difficulties in being treated. Preventing him getting it in the first place with the vaccine is absolutely crucial. And nobody, not his paediatrician, not his GP, not anybody else, disagrees with that. And yet, there is no facility for him to have the vaccination in a way that he can access it. We have only ever been able to have him have any of his other vaccinations or have any blood tests through the use of gas and air. Um which will have a mask put over his face. Myself and my wife will be there with him. We'll be reassuring him, making him happy. And when he gets to the point where he's quite happy, then a nurse can come in and and give him the vaccine. And the last time we went, we left the room. Elliot all smiles. He actually then ran back into the room and picked up the face mask, which at least for us was a sign of, well, this was something that he was associating with quite a nice experience. It wasn't traumatic Whereas everything that otherwise would be suggested would be horrendously traumatic for him and I would be concerned about somebody else's safety, if I'm being honest. And we've used that three times before, I think, in the past. And yet nobody will do that for us now. Places that would do that for us previously are now saying either because he's got older or because of COVID restrictions. Oh, no, we don't do that. Oh, no, we'd never do that. Um, And then we'll come back to us suggesting the same thing. Oh, have you tried a social story, you know, which is pictures to help him understand what's going to happen? Well, yes, we've tried all those things with Elliot. Never been successful. Uh, Have you tried doing it in an environment that he's familiar with? Um... Yes, we, we have tried doing it in environments. You know, the immunisation team go into his special school every year to try and give him his flu vaccine. Um, and every year they come away saying we were unable to give him uh, the flu vaccine. And that's just the nasal spray one. What makes me really cross and really angry is not with our own GP or our own paediatrician. My frustration and my anger is with the system that accepts 
people like Elliot should just rely on herd immunity. And that is something that was even said to us uh, at one point, you know, where we said, well, what should happen for children like Elliot? They'll just have to rely on herd immunity. And being told you've got to rely on herd immunity when you also cannot take any of the other reasonable preventative steps that you and I and everybody else has been taking for the past 18 months to keep ourselves safe is akin to just being basically thrown to the wolves and thrown to chance. To book our jabs, it's a text message. It's going onto a website. It's, it's done in seconds. And you have parents like us spending six months of their time fighting to get what everybody else can get with the click of a mouse. I think, generally, it's an oversight. I don't think anyone ever even thought about anybody that would be more challenging to give a vaccine to. And that's the only thing I can put it down to, is an oversight and then nobody's willing to sort of say, actually, you're right, there is a gap there. We're not talking a huge number of people this would affect, but these are the most vulnerable people. And you mentioned lots of other people and adults like Elliot who have still not had the vaccination. And I've been speaking to an academic, Professor Chris Hatton at Manchester Met University. And he's estimated that there's over 32,500 people over 16 who have still, like Elliot, not had the vaccination. What are your thoughts on that number? That's fairly damning, really. It shows that that is exactly the problem that we're saying. And it, clearly, Elliot, then, for our, from our point of view, is the tip of the iceberg, that this, this is a much bigger thing. And it's just, they're not maybe groups that have much of a voice. No, and that anyone, if I'm being blunt, is that fussed about, really? No, there are 32,000 people that have been given up on, that have been othered, that they just think, well, they are different, they are challenging... They can't access it in any of the ways that are set up. Therefore, cast them to the wind and hope they're okay, rather than saying they're 32,000 people who are loved. But we are aware, you know, going forward, this Elliot's always going to need something. There'll be a point that he hurts himself or that he requires some type of treatment. And if we have this issue with a vaccine, this is symptomatic of a much bigger problem. And if that isn't addressed now that we're just kicking that stone further down the road. Finished? Elliot, take it out to the kitchen, please. Thank you. Good morning. Do you want a drink? Shut the fridge, Elliot. Come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's still a scarecrow. You remember this. You want something else to eat? Now we're heading into winter. If Ian and Lucy can't get Elliot vaccinated, their main worry will be keeping him out of harm's way. So the first job is making it through the pandemic. But that isn't the end of it. Lucy and Ian know that the next big challenge for their family is already looming. 
we're starting to think ahead about um, what life will look like for Elliot and what he will need um, because I think we've probably got into a okay we've got all these things in place we've done this we've done that and then we're realising that actually because of his age these things are starting to come to an end you know he won't be at school much two and a bit years left yeah you know his respite facility only goes up to 18 the Saturday clubs only run up to 19 and then there's a there's a bit of a void that we're trying to proactively look at what that means going forward um, and long-term for Elliot's care, um, ultimately looking probably at residential care at that point because his care needs clearly are never going to lessen um, but are likely to increase. And there's only so much, I think, that we could do we, we've we've talked about it a lot, and one of the things we're really keen to avoid is having to make choices for Elliot's future long-term care needs in crisis. The easiest thing to do would be that we just carry on sacrificing everything we sacrificed in our lives to keep him at home and look after him. But there'll come a point where we can't do that anymore. And the last thing we want to have to do is to make a decision about his care needs because we can't do it rather than because we've spent a long time looking for it and we've found the perfect place for him. But trying to find that and find the right place is scary and daunting because you do hear all the awful tales of the abuses and the things that are happening. And amongst all the awful things that have happened through, through Elliot's condition... The, the one I don't think I could ever come to terms with is if we'd entrusted his care to somebody else and that trust was abused. Uh, I, I can't imagine a worse scenario than that. And to have that hanging over us, knowing that no matter how I feel about that, I'm going to have to trust somebody to look after him because we cannot do it forever is a scary thought. You've often said that whenever he does leave home, whether it's when he's 18, 20, 24, whatever it is, he will still be a toddler. And imagine sending your toddler off to go and live somewhere else. No, Nobody else would ever do it, and he, he's still going to be our baby. He's not ever going to come to us and indicate that he wants to go and leave home. As far as he knows, this is all he's ever known, and this is his family, and we are the ones who look after him. And one of the things I struggle with is how he'll interpret that and how he'll feel about that. Will he always wonder, why, I, why aren't I at home with mum and dad? That's my home. Why, why, why am I not there? For all the really tough stuff that the family have to deal with now and in the future, this is a home full of love. And how often do you two get to go out? Birthdays, things like that? Uh, I think it would probably be birthdays. Birthdays and anniversary, I think we probably do we about... try to keep those. Yeah, we probably see each other about three times a year. 
Yeah. Oh, which is enough. Yeah. You know, there's a reason the marriage has lasted this long. If we saw any, each other anymore, then... Uh, <laughs> you both um, talk at times with sort of such humour in a way, kind of macabre humour. And I wonder if that's a way to get through it. I mean, how, how do you get through it? We only do it because we love our son and we have to do it. You know, if, if you'd said to us when we became parents, you know, in our mid-twenties, if you'd said, this is what you're going to do and this is how much it's going to take from you and how much you'll sacrifice, we'd say, no, we can't do that. That's impossible. I've got dreams. I've got things I want to do. I've got a life that I want to get out for. But when it's your child, you know, the one you love more than ever, despite, cause, I mean, despite anything and everything we could say and describe about Elliot, the big thing is, you know, we love him more than, more than anything. I know I'm angry every single day. Uh, and that you, you can't do anything with that anger. It's not, not any use. You can't rant and rave and get it out of your system and then somehow make it better. You can't reckon with anyone or do anything. But there is, you know, something every single day where I will look at my boy who I love, you know, dearly. And, you know, I, I'll look at him, though, and say... I'm just furious for him. He's been denied so much in his life and will be denied so much in his life. You know, he'll never live independently. He'll never work meaningfully. He'll never have a family of his own. And you have to bottle that anger and put it in because if, if you just lived in that resentment all day, every day, yeah, you'd end up a very unhealthy and unhappy person. But you do have to find the humour in it because a lot of it is so ridiculous yeah. And some of the things you land up doing that become part of your daily life, when you take a step back, you think, this is unbelievable. This is yeah. just not, this is just not normal. You've got to go so, with it. But yeah, you do get a particularly dark sense of humour because you have to. <laughs> laugh or cry and it's easier to laugh. Stepping into Lucy and Ian's home was like going into a different world. Unimaginable challenges for most of us are just the everyday for them. And I'm not sure if it was for my sake or theirs, but I needed to end on a joyful note. So I asked them to describe Elliot in just a few words. Giggly, cheeky. Yeah, that's the first word I thought of. Mm, and lovely. Actually, just big. big. Everything's about big, big, big appetite, yeah. big boy, big Honestly. loves, big hugs. I mean, you know, he's 16 years old and he'll still give me a kiss if I ask him to. There aren't many dads who get a kiss from their 16 year old boys. You know, him being stuck in that childlike state, even though he's basically a man now. There's um, an innocence to Elliot there is. still, which and is there's quite a refreshing. There's a sweetness there, which is utterly unique to him. And, and, and you don't get that in any other way. Yeah, I think that's right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was reported by Saba Salman, produced by Gemma Newby, with sound design by Tom Birchall. The executive producer was David Taylor. 
If you'd like to listen to the Slow Newscast without ads, or if you want to get involved in our journalism, you can become a member of our newsroom. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use my code BASHA50. That's B-A-S-I-A-5-0. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.